Good morning. I hope you have a wonderful. I hope you are having a wonderful day today. We are a little bit late for this episode of the Truth Factor discussion. Here's what happened last week. We had some technical issues, and we started seeing evidence of the same thing this morning. So we stopped the stream, restarted some hardware, especially the networking hardware, and now we're back. And if everything goes according to plan, we will be in Acts chapter 13. We'll start here in just a minute in verse 13. We have a few who are not with us here today. We are limited to <laughs> limited to Paul, Michael, and Shelton. And uh, David Banning was with us last week. He did a good job uh, with the gospel meeting, but he is back at his home now. Uh, Brian had something to come up that he's having to deal with. Tom had uh, things as well he had to take care of. And Wayne Welsh, we want to congratulate him. He now has a new baby. And I uh, didn't realize how close it was getting, so we're happy for the Welsh family. Very, very happy for them. So let's go ahead and, Paul, take just real, uh, a real, real brief moment. Let everybody know how they can participate in today's study. I'll be happy to do that, John. If you're uh, watching on any of the social media, like uh, YouTube or Facebook or Twitter, uh, you can just... Uh, Look for Truth Factor Live. Truth Factor Live will get you where you need to be. And so you might also be looking at us through the live viewing page on truthfactor.com. And you can interact with us that way. When we see your comments or questions on any of those uh, kind of social media uh, environments, we will try to bring that in and include that in our study. Or just send us a question to questions at truthfactor.com. That's questions at truthfactor.com. John? Thank you, Paul. I appreciate that. I forgot to have the lower third up there displaying all that, but I'll let it run here for just a couple of seconds before we jump into our study. All right, so we are picking up this morning in Acts chapter 13. We're going to start right around verse 13. And what I'd like to do, let me jump over here to my notes real quick. Let's go ahead and read this, and we're going to divide it up into two different sections and then talk about one section, and then we'll talk about the other section. Let's, um, no, we're going, to read, we're going to read the whole 13 through 41, but I'm going to break up the readers. That's what it is there. So with that being said, Mike, if you would, read for us verses 13 through 25, sir. Can do. Thank you. Twenty-five. Yep. Now, when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. But when they were departed from Perga, they came to Antioch and Pisidia, and went into the synagogue on a Sabbath day and sat down. After the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them, saying. Men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose your fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he brought them out of it. Now for a time of about 40 years, he put up with their ways in the wilderness and when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land to them by allotment. And after he gave them judges for about 450 years until Samuel the prophet, afterward they asked for a king. So he gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. 
And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. From this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a Savior, Jesus. After John had first preached before his coming, the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, Who do you think I am? I'm not he. But behold, there comes one after me, the sandals of whose feet I'm not worthy to loose. All right, let's continue now. And Shelton, if you would, pick up with 26 and read down through verse 41. Shelton, you might need to unmute your mic. It works better to read when people can hear you. All right, verse 26. It says, Men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to you the word of this salvation has been sent. For those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know him, nor even the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in, uh, in, in condemning him. And though they found no cause for death in him, they asked Pilate that he should be put to death. Now when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. He was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem who are his witnesses to the people. And we declare to you glad tidings, that promise which was made to the fathers. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he has raised up Jesus, as it is also written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you, and that he raised him from the dead no more to return to corruption. He has spoken thus, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Therefore he also says in another psalm, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. For David, after he had served in his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up saw no corruption. Therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that, though, that, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what has been spoken in the prophets come upon you. Behold, you despisers, marvel and perish. For I work a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe, though one were to declare it to you. All righty. Thank you, Shelton. Let me correct one little thing here. All right, so here we have, and it's kind of a lengthy reading. The reason I wanted to go ahead and look at that in its entirety is because it is one long lesson. It is Paul giving them essentially a, a brief history, a, a Bible lesson from the Old Testament leading up to Jesus Christ. And so we're going to talk about that for a couple of minutes here. All right, let's see. Let's first share the chat room question. And Paul looks like he has shared it to the YouTube page, and I'm going to take a second and drop it into the Facebook page right now, and let's bring it on the screen for everybody to see. If you're watching at home and able to join with us, I'd like for you to consider this. 
The Lord told Ananias, Saul would be sent to the Gentiles. This is back in chapter 9, verse 15. However, where did Saul and Barnabas seem to do most of their teaching in this chapter, and why? All right, so think about that. Paul and Barnabas were sent to the Gentiles, but in this chapter, where does it seem that they do most of their teaching, and and why do you think that is the case? So kind of mull that over, if you would, for a little bit, and we'll come back to that as we progress through our own study here. All right, so, um, Paul, let me ask you this, and since Mike and, and Shelton read, look at there, what happened in the synagogue worship which gave Paul an opportunity to speak? Well, I thought that was interesting as I was reading through there, John, and, and looking uh, at my text here, uh, that uh, that they had uh, the reading of Scripture, they had the reading of the Law and the Prophets, and uh, they were given an opportunity. Uh, he says there, uh, men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation, the people stay, stay on. And so I, I thought that was kind of a, an interesting thing, and so certainly they take advantage of that. And, you know, there may be forums today where uh, people would say, well, if you would like to share something, go ahead and, and we got to have the courage to stand up and speak. But here, not only did they read the Law and the Prophets, but then here was an opportunity to uh, bring out some points from that. And Paul and Barnabas certainly take time to do that. Yeah, I, That's a very good point. I think last week, after we had to end our study abruptly, the question was brought up that it was suggested that I used the term synagogue worship might not have been considered worship. Not real sure about that, but we do know they they assembled, and um, and and this is what that's just just as you said. I'm not going to repeat everything you said, <laughs> but it was an opportunity for them to talk about the law, and they gave Paul an opportunity to um, say a few words with that. Okay, um, interesting point, Shelton. Did you catch this in the reading? What time frame does Paul give for the period of the judges? I thought this was interesting. All right, Shelton, you're unmuted again. You're muted. Here's the cool thing. I can hear Shelton through this wall, so I know he's talking. (laughs) But I can't hear him here. Go ahead, Shelton. (laughs) I, uh, as a matter of fact, did not catch the verse number when I... Uh, when I saw this, but I did write it down, and the time period he gives is 450 years. Isn't that interesting that he gives us the the time frame of 450 years in regards to the time period of the judges? And I'm and and you you you're going to start this at after they enter the promised land and Joshua takes the promised land, um, and then with that generation that rises up that does not know Joshua. That's who kind of the time frame there 450 years with that. Now, my, it was it, verse 20, John. Oh, Sorry. verse 20? Okay. <laughs> verse 20. All right, thank you, Shelton. So, Mike, as we kind of ponder our way through this here, in verse 23, the Apostle Paul references a, a seed. What promise do you think he was referring to in verse 23? I believe it's the promise that he gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That from the uh, from that promise, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob would become uh, one generation at a time, father of a great nation. That from that nation, that seed, 
would come one that would bless all nations of the earth, and that would be Jesus Christ. Obviously, through the rest of, of Paul's sermon here, you find that's exactly uh, the course that Paul takes in, in teaching this, that uh, from the very beginning, God had chosen Jesus to be the Savior of the world. That product, uh, Jesus himself came from the seed of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and uh, and on down through. Yeah. That's a very good point. You know what I find interesting, Mike, is is when you study Galatians, and when they estimate Galatians was written, it's like this is really on Paul's mind because you know he's he's going through the first you know he goes through the first journey. He and Barnabas they teach a lot of Gentiles. They come back, they report, and then in Acts fifteen, there's the Judaizing teachers trying to buy in circumcision, and you have the big mm-hmm. discussion there where the truth is 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 made known that they need to teach. And some scholars speculate Paul wrote the Galatian letter either just before that event in 15 or maybe after. They think before because he doesn't mention the letter at all. But it's interesting the context of Galatians and how it overlaps like what we're looking at here. You know, Mm -hmm. Paul really had this stuff on his mind, and it was very crucial for this time period. Well, in relationship to that, John, I, I believe that's exactly why the Lord chose Paul to be the apostle to Gentiles. Of course, he starts talking to the Jews, but by having that knowledge that all nations of the earth would be blessed, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were not technically Jews. That's right. Uh, and, and so, Paul, it is on his mind, and in the book of Galatians, Jews is that allegory between Sarah and Hagar to show that Hagar's son was not the son of promise, but Isaac was, and therefore Christ is the son of promise. And that's the scene he's talking about here. I agree completely. I think it's a good point. Um, any other thoughts on that before we before we continue? Isn't it interesting that in some of these uh, early, well, I don't know, depends what you call early, uh, the Bible sermons and Bible teachings that we have, that you see that frequently, uh, and this may go along with a question that's coming up, but frequently we see that there is uh, a history lesson given uh, mm-hmm. to those who probably should have known it best. But uh, on Pentecost, this is that, which was spoken by the prophets. And then uh, we see men like uh, Stephen, for instance. Uh, his lesson talks about the history uh, of the Jewish people. And here Paul, uh, as they've read the prophets, uh, they have this reading that he takes an opportunity to talk to them about their history and uh, how it was all leading up to, to Christ and trying to help show them that. It seems to be a very effective way of teaching the Jews is to go back and talk about their history and then how that was really all leading to what they see now. You would hope that it would help them have a greater appreciation for the story of Abraham and the promise God made with Abraham. Yeah. All right, now here's a thought question I want you to consider for a moment. And, and you, you at home as well, love to hear your thoughts on this. But when you, when you look at the text that we just read here, you find that he makes a comment that the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, that the rulers of, of Jerusalem did not know those words. Okay, So here we have the rulers of Jerusalem. They did not know the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath. But yet, these very men who did not know the words of the voice of the prophets, they're the very ones that fulfilled the words of the prophets. 
So it's not really a question per se, but just one of you have any thoughts on that. Has has amazing he says, You didn't know the words of the prophets, but yet they fulfill the words of the prophets. Any thoughts? It's a lot like the same thing today, John. We preachers uh get the rap, I guess you'd say some people say, Well, you never told me. Well, we kind of wonder if did you ever listen? Yes, sir. <laughs> Because we have said it. Yeah. The fact is, people hear what they want to hear, and they retain what they want to retain. If we really sat down and studied the history of Israel, the law of Israel, you realize how much better we'd appreciate the law of Christ? It, it, it's the history behind that, the result, because they didn't adhere to God's word, the history of that shows us the same pattern that if we're not careful to read, study, learn, and obey God's new law, the New Testament, mm -hmm. we're bound to repeat the same history, maybe not in the same physical fashion, but we'll be just as lost. And it is, is critical that we go back and remind ourselves, this is what the prophets said. We've got to start listening. That's a good well, point. Give me the verse to prove it. Look at Hebrews 2. Therefore, we need to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, any other thoughts, uh, Paul? It, or it, reminded, it reminded me, John, when I, when I looked at that, that, uh, you know, it's what, I, what we've all heard since we were kids, those of us who have grown up in Bible classes and stuff. But through, through the death of Jesus and these persecutors, uh, and, and his crucifiers fulfilling these prophecies, they thought that they were putting a stop to his work. You know, they, they thought that, that they were putting a stop to this man who was a blasphemer of God, but in reality, they were fulfilling the exact prophecies that needed to be fulfilled for him to be our Savior. And it lets me know that no matter what man might do, no matter what man might think we can do uh, to stop God, you know, we, there are those that are against the plan of God. He's, his will will prevail, no matter, no matter what man might try to do to stop that. I agree. That's a very good thought. Um, no matter what man does, the will of God will always be done. Yeah. All righty. Let's see. Paul, any thoughts before we look at the next thought? No, I think that was covered well. Okay. So, John, well, I don't have an outline with me, but can I interrupt just for a minute here? Oh, sure, Mike. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. at, at verse 32, you'll notice it says, And we declare unto you glad tidings. That reminds me of Paul's statement to the Romans when he said that the, the, those who preach the gospel, how, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of Christ and bring glad tidings of good things. The fact is, the glad tidings include the fulfillment of these prophecies. But what makes it even gladder, if I can use such a word, is the fact that now both Jew and Gentile have opportunity to obey that gospel and receive that same eternal promise that was foretold back with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that all nations of the earth should be blessed. It, it's a marvelous fulfillment of these things, but the gladness is all mankind is amenable to it. That's true. That is so true. Any other thoughts? I consider one more point before we move on, and, and we'll look at the chat room question here in just a second. How does Paul show, and, and Paul, let me ask you this one, I guess. 
How does okay. Paul show that God's having raised Jesus from the dead was a fulfillment of prophecy? Let's start with that question. Well, all right, <clears throat> we can talk about uh, talk about those those words that he talks about there that it was through that Jesus they could have that forgiveness of sins, but. Uh, he looks back and, and he uh, uses the uh, prophecies of the Old Testament uh, and even some of the poetry of the Old Testament to show that what the ultimate reality there, what the ultimate fulfillment of that is, what the real idea behind it is about Christ. And, and he quotes from the Psalms, uh, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Uh, he fulfilled this promise, he says, in raising up Jesus, and that's sort of the the meaning behind there, that brings up several thoughts, but uh, I'll go on. And it uh, says, I will give uh, to you the sure mercies of David. You will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. Uh, sometimes we look at the Psalms as just, you know, nice nice uh, songs, nice uh, poetry in the Old Testament. But there's really some substance in those Psalms, uh, often in pointing toward New Testament themes. Yeah. Paul, what what other chapter in Acts kind of uses the same reasoning? Well, I was trying to think about what you might. Uh, I saw that you had sent me that question, and I was uh, kind of considering that. I know that the prophets are quoted uh, often in sermons in Acts two, uh, for instance. Uh, mm -hmm. Maybe uh, Peter and John in Acts three, <laughs> and uh, Stephen certainly uh, uses the the history again in Acts. Seven. Uh, what did yeah. you have in mind? I was thinking about Acts two, um, okay. the, the, because in Acts two he kind of does a similar thing about referencing Jesus not being bound by the grave, you know, not let your holy one see corruption. You know, he uses those kind of passages to show, and he uses those prophecies to show the resurrection of Christ and everything. Kind of a similar. I think pattern. that's interesting that here he's talking to Jews, people who ought to know that old law and. In many cases, it's not just uh, the the casual Jewish person. It's people who are law lawyers in the Jewish law, or yeah. were of the strictest uh, variety of Jews, who really thought they knew, thought they could teach others, and, and thought they would really have a handle on it. And he says, "Well, this is that the, what uh, Isaiah said, what Joel prophesied, uh, yeah. what the, the David said in the Psalms. Th this is what you've been reading your whole life." Uh, what you consider yourself to be an expert on, and uh, this is exactly what it was talking about. And so uh, I don't know that uh, Paul was trying to be condescending to them, but he certainly uh, felt like they should know better. Absolutely, absolutely. And this was a different territory. You think about where Paul is traveling through when he's when he's uh, preaching these sermons. This isn't Jerusalem anymore. It's, you know, that he's gone over the Isle of... Um, Paphos, it said. Paphos. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. They, they, they. Thank you. He's on the Isle of Paphos. I was trying to remember if we've already talked about Elamus, and that was last week. Um, but that's right. So here we have a whole new group of people that he's teaching to. Um. So chat question, real quick. Unless there's any thoughts or comments on this. Well, we'll just add on to that, John, real yeah. quick. And, and I don't want to belabor this longer than what it should be. But that tells us the great value in studying the Old Testament history. The history of the Jews uh, throughout the Old Testament, the, the Psalms, uh, the, the prophecies, uh, sometimes those are neglected sections of Scripture. Uh, we like to do Genesis, Exodus. We like the Judges. You know, that's real dramatic and everything. Uh, I would say most, uh, not most, but many 
do not have as good of a handle on the Psalms and the, the prophets and things like that. But in understanding those, it really is a faith builder. Yeah. It really helps us to see that this was part of God's plan and to see that Jesus was what God had in mind and that he brought these people through all of this so that they could see Jesus. That's a good point. I appreciate that. Um, let's consider real quick now the chat room question. Then we will. The chat chat room question was, and we'll bring this up one more time. Sorry, wrong button. There we go. The Lord told um, Ananias. What's wrong? The Lord told Ananias that Saul would be sent to the Gentiles. That's right. <laughs> my, my brain decided to go back to sleep. However, where did Saul and Barnabas seem to do most of their teaching? Okay, so that, that was the question. We have a couple of answers that have come in, so let me share them and bring them up on the screen there. Gregory says they were there on the Sabbath. So Paul went to a place to teach where people feared, respected God. It seems like a logical place to start. Why not start to the Jews first and then to the world? And that's a very good point. Um, it's where the Jews were assembling every every Sabbath day to study the Word of God. So let's start with them. Um, and let's see. Gregor goes on makes another very good point. Let's go ahead and bring this out. He says, God seeing all of time at one time is an amazing concept. They in Jerusalem had the free choice to do what they did. God knew and allowed that as proof of his glory. And I think what Greg is talking about is, or Gregor's talking about our discussion regarding um, how they have, they, they did not know the words of the prophets, but yet they brought about the fulfillment of the prophet, prophecies. Um, and then Brian says, I agree with Gregor. The gospel plan was by design to go to the Jews first, then to the Gentiles, referring back to the previous comment there. And then Brian brings in Romans chapter 116, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God's salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Very good point. Very, very good point there. I appreciate that. Appreciate it very, very much. And Brian, although you're not with us today, as Paul says, you're with us in typing. Or, sorry, with us in spirit <laughs> or something like that. All right, let's go ahead and look at our next section here, and this one will take us to the end of the chapter, verses 42 through 52. And uh, let's see, who is not red? Paul. Paul. Paul looks red. Would you do that for us? So start there in verse 42 and read down through verse 52, Paul. Be happy to do that, John. In Acts 13, beginning at verse 42, the scripture says, so when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes, whom Paul and Barnabas, uh, followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. Now when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy, and contradicting and blaspheming, they opposed the things spoken by Paul. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, but since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, 
I have set you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. But the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. But they shook the dust from their feet against them and came to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate you reading that for us. We're going to take a minute and go ahead and drop in the next chat question. And we'll bring it up on the screen for everybody to see here in just a second let's go a little bit faster there we go so here's a chat room question for this last section what happens in verses 44 through 48 which could be considered a sign to paul that he was now supposed to preach to the gentiles what happens in verses 44 through 48 which could be considered a sign to paul that he was now supposed to preach to the gentiles all right, let's jump back now and a couple of thoughts on this last section. This is very interesting. This seems to be, comes across as a literal illustration of the whole idea of Jews first, then the Greeks. And what is interesting when what the text that we looked at, the Jews weren't the only ones present and hearing what was being said. Uh, whether they were in the synagogue with them or they were able to hear outside you know, through the walls and windows what Paul was saying. I'm not real sure. But needless to say, they heard what Paul was saying. And when we looked at the text here, we see a great excitement on the part of the people in being able to 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 hear more um, at the next assembly, which would be the following week. But let me consider this first question. And, and Shelton, I'll ask this of you. Do you have any thoughts on the Gentiles wanting Paul to preach the same words the following Sabbath? I'm I'm going to guess that because of where they were uh, in the in the synagogue teaching that way that it would have mainly been Jews. Um, like you said, they obviously heard the words he spoke. They requested that he speak them again, and so they were aware of somewhat of what was taught. But I kind of wonder if it would have been something that they might not have been able to receive the whole message, uh, might not have been able to to hear him as well, possibly, or wanted to bring more. Uh, people to him. Uh, I know that sometimes, you know, when we look at that, uh, sometimes I've even heard sermons in my life where I wish that, you know, I wish these people would have been able to hear this message as well. And so it might have been a request that he preached the same thing again. That way they could bring more people uh, to hear the message of, of God, to hear the, the word that he was preaching. But my, my first initial thought would have been because of the fact that it was in the synagogue, uh, that it would have been a little more difficult for a lot of Gentiles to be able to hear them. Okay. And it's also possible that these individuals did not know everything that Paul was talking about. Wouldn't you think that's possible, Mike? And, and they, they, they wanted, you know, unlike the Jews, these people may, did not, may not have had all this knowledge, and they needed to, to hear it again, you know, so they could better understand it. Well, when you when you think of two things associated with this, understand it's not all the Jews that reject it. 
because at uh, verse 43, when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes, which would have been Gentiles, followed Paul and persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. Then a week later, almost the whole city comes together to hear the yeah. word of God. I, I look at it as seeing a curiosity here. They maybe had heard of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, John the Baptist, as we looked at earlier. Uh, they may have heard uh, of some of the other prophets, but they never heard of the application of Jesus Christ being the Savior of mankind. And so this curiosity got to them, and it, it made sense where the Jews inflicting circumcision, the Jewish uh, traditions and customs and such upon all men made no sense to the Gentiles whatsoever. So the curiosity, I'm saying, is what brought them together. And then when Paul sees that the Jews, uh, the traditionalists, we might say, were blaspheming and contradicting against him and Barnabas, he, uh, they, they simply grow bolder and they say, you have counted yourselves unworthy of this. That's a bold statement to say that someone is unworthy of the word of God, but that's exactly what these Jews became, but unworthy to hear it. Therefore, he's turning to the Gentiles who hunger and thirst for it and presents it to them and fulfills the prophecy that I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard that, they're glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. Now, that doesn't mean they were predestinated to it. It simply means that they obeyed the gospel. The gospel had promised that if you obey the gospel, eternal life is the promise given you in behalf of that. And that goes back to Acts chapter 2, verses 38 and 39. That obviously relates to 1 John 2, 25, the promise uh, that he has given us is eternal life. But uh, these, these Gentiles are eagerly hungering and thirsting for this truth and glad to get it. Yeah. That it's makes interesting sense. to note, isn't it, mm -hmm. the reason? It wasn't that they really disagreed with Paul so much as Paul was getting the, the audience. Uh, Paul was getting, uh, the, in a sense, the, the followers. I realize Paul didn't come to make people follow him but to follow Christ but but he's got the attention he, he's got people stirred up he's got people excited and so it says that it's envy uh, that that motivated them to speak against them and, and to do this uh, yeah, they weren't they happy. give this word to somebody else <laughs> they, they weren't just happy the word was being preached and, and that was being taught uh, if they had said the same thing uh, they'd have been very excited about it or some of their friends would have said the same thing, but here Paul and Barnabas come, and they're very unhappy that they uh, they get the crowds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. That's really what the issue was. Um, Paul and Barnabas had unlocked a, a treasure for the Gentiles, but that wasn't what upset the Jews. It was the crowds. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um. Speaking of which, Paul and Barnabas, who did Paul and Barnabas persuade to continue in the grace of God? I thought this was interesting in the text. Who's got a good answer for that? Who did Paul and Barnabas persuade to continue in the grace of God? I believe it's, it's the ones who followed them, uh, the ones who, who heard the teaching and then went with them. 
Yeah, look specifically there. Let me bring it up on screen here real quick to verse um, 43, if I can get my mouse to properly function. Oh, i got to use the right mouse. I've got two mice on my table, by the way. Two mice <laughs> on my table. All right, let's see. One's not a rat. <laughs> uh, look at verse 43 there, Shelton, and read that again. Verse 43 says, Now when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. Yeah, I think that that is reading as if Paul and Barnabas persuaded the um, the Jews and the devout proselytes to continue. That's the way that I read it as well. Yeah, yeah, I would think so. All right, and the last question here. I think it's the last one. Luke wrote as many. No, we got two more. Luke wrote as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. There in verse forty-eight b. What did Luke mean, and does Paul's statement in the latter half of verse 46 help us to understand Luke's statement? <laughs> That's kind of a complicated question. But, um, Mike, let's start with you since you're on the screen again. There's something about Mike's mic. With Mike's mic, once Paul or Shelton quits talking, Mike jumps to the forefront of Google Hangout. So it likes you. It likes you, Mike. So I'm the guy with the tie. That's what the deal is. <laughs> <laughs> so what did Paul mean and as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed that idea of being appointed to eternal well, life we, we touched on that uh, just a minute ago in our comments but the, the idea is the, the gospel of Christ is the only way to obtain eternal life and uh, some have misread this saying that God predestined these people uh, already appointed them to have eternal life, and there wouldn't be anything they could do to prevent that. That's not the case at all. The gospel of Christ is what they had to believe. That's why Paul turns to the Gentiles and delivers that to them. It becomes a light to them, uh, as we see here at verse 47. I've used a light to the Gentiles that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. It fulfills the prophecy. So when they heard this, they heard what? Well, they heard the salvation in Christ. And the only thing that Paul could have said about the salvation of Christ is that his blood was shed for the remission of sins. And in order for us to obtain that, we have to be baptized for the remission of our sins. Now, someone says, well, Davis, you're reading between the lines there. No. You take this same sermon and go back and compare it to Acts 2, where the gospel was first preached. These people were pricked in their hearts, and they asked Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what must we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Then in Acts 2.39, for the promise is unto you and to your children, to all them that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Well, what's that promise? 1 John 2.25, this is the promise that he has promised us, even eternal life. So once these people who have desired the gospel hear it, believe it, and obey it, that appointment is to eternal life through their obedience. And so when, when Luke records here that as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed, 
He's simply saying that the course of the gospel took effect with these souls, and they obeyed it. Okay. All right. Well, what I had in mind, and I like your answer. It's a very good answer, very thorough. But lest someone would take Paul's statement to be proof of predestination, mm-hmm. we need to point him to verse 46. Because well, in, yeah. in, at, at, at verse 46 here, Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, it's necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, to you Jews first. But since you rejected and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, well, they can't have it if they don't have the word of God. They can't have eternal life. Paul was preaching to the Jews the same thing now that he said, behold, we go to the Gentiles, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. If the Jew doesn't want the gospel of Christ to salvation, giving them eternal life, the Gentiles do. We're going to take the same message to the folks that are hungering and thirsting for it. That's right. And, you know, and as the, uh, the question would be asked, why weren't these individuals appointed to eternal life? Well, it's real simple. Because they rejected the word. Exactly. Yeah, they had rejected the word. That's exactly right. Um, any any thoughts from Paul or Shelton on that? Covered well. All right. So the, the last thought then, and then we'll, we'll – actually, before we do the last thought, I want to jump over to the chat room for just a second – Ryan stepped up and threw us another very good comment. And here it is. Dramatic pause. The rejection of the Jews was a prophetic event. This is a stumbling block prophecy repeatedly mentioned. And I think that's a very outstanding point. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. It, It wasn't just that the death of Christ was prophesied and the resurrection. The very rejection by the Jews was also fulfillment of prophecy. So that's a very, very good point. And um, one last point from Brian we'll bring in before we um, look at the next section here real quick. He says, interesting how that contrasts with the premillennial doctrine, which necessitates that the Jewish rejection was a surprise to Jesus. You know, I've heard that before that, well, you know, they rejected Jesus. So God had to go to plan B and and create what he did. Oh, God knew ahead of time and it was part of the plan. All right. Now, the last thought here real quick. Did Paul and Barnabas, Paul, let's throw this one to you. Did Paul and Barnabas's expulsion from the region hinder the disciples in Antioch? Hinder the disciples in Antioch. The disciples who had sent them out. Uh, is that what you're? Is that the the idea of what you're? Well, it it made sense when I wrote it, Paul. I think I've got the wrong city here. Verse fifty-two, not Antioch. I um. I think I understood your point there, John. They were expelled from Paphos. Right. No, they were in the You're saying that when when they were expelled from the region there in verse 50, what the reaction was in 51 and 52 with the other disciples there? Yeah, and they and look back at verse 13 real quick. All right, they sailed from Paphos to Antioch in Pisidia. That's where I'm this sorry. whole exchange is yeah. taking place. Different okay. Antioch. I, I apologize. No. John, <laughs> I, my, my brain. My brain messed up. I, I apologize. Uh, <laughs> they they were certainly sent out from Antioch, um, different Antioch. Uh, 
Yeah. But then they come up to the, this other Antioch. And it seems like uh, as they went there, what we read is that uh, they do shake their dust off the feet against them. And I believe that's them being the chief men of the city who are stirring things up. The prominent women who were involved Mm -hmm. in opposing uh, this, they got all this stirred up against them. They shook the dust off their feet. But the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. What we find is that uh, the more efforts that are put forward to stop this, uh, the more persecution they can bring about, uh, the more they get things stirred up, it just causes the uh, disciples, the true disciples, to be uh, to dig in their heels and, and to spread that word, and it just causes more and more growth, even though they're trying to put it to a stop. That's right. And, and again, I, I apologize, John. I, I, uh, I, my brain froze on, on that Antioch part. That's all right. Hey, we've, I've had a few <laughs> hiccups lately. <laughs> all right, so let's see. That brings us to the end of the chapter. And and it is amazing. It, you're right, Paul. It is absolutely amazing, despite the best efforts of the Jewish leaders. And, and they will follow Paul and Barnabas, and then later Paul and Silas, and they'll try to stir up trouble in each place that they go, and so much so that they are ran out. But the churches still continue there. The brethren continue to worship God, and they don't stop that. It's now, amazing how they even follow them from city to city, like like you yeah. were mentioning. That they they not just get them out of here, but when they go somewhere else, well, we're just going to tag along and, and cause them trouble there too. But it, it just increases and increases. You know that begins. I suppose you know we see that dramatic increase in the first few chapters of Acts, but then Acts eight uh, the, the the dispersion that takes place, uh, the disciples went everywhere preaching the word. Yeah. Uh, and so it, it just, the more they try to put out the fire, the more they, they spread it uh, to other places. You know, in, in our Sunday morning adult class, we're studying through um, Acts, and we're currently in chapters 9, and, and I think we're moving into chapter 10. But someone made a very interesting point. When you go back and you look at the beginning you see there's a direct working to try to stop the church, stop the teachings of the apostles. You know, several of them are thrown in prison. They're all thrown in prison. Paul does his thing. But once Paul is converted to the truth, the church has peace for a while. But the Jewish leaders don't stop their efforts. Um, It it appears that now they begin to take a two-step approach. One, they're going to follow Paul and Barnabas and try to stir up trouble for them. But then they try to bring in... A, um, a perversion of the doctrine by, you know, if we can't beat them, let's join them, so to speak, but let's make sure that they keep the law of Moses. And so we see a different effort on their part as well. John, I could tell you a dumb thing I did once that sort of illustrates the point is that uh, I was grilling out with a charcoal grill and having trouble getting the fire going. And so I take that little uh, thing of lighter fluid it's uh you know plastic and i blast the hot coals and the flame erupts and it sets the end of the it sets the end of the thing of lighter fluid on fire and so i've got almost like a little torch there and i go oh no this isn't good you know i need to put this out and so i start shaking it trying to put it out and after i finally get the fire out i look around the yard and i've slung fire uh, all (laughs) over the yard every place that hit and that's kind of what (laughs) which was really dumb. Don't do this at home. Do not do this at home. But that's kind of what happens is here they try to put it out and they just end up uh, slinging the fire of God's word everywhere uh, that it just keeps growing and going and going. 
Paul, that may top my fire story. I'll have to tell you about that. Okay. That that may top it. Um, <laughs> all right, so let's real quick, let's look at the question that we put together for the chat room. No one answered it, um, but I'll throw it up there again, and we can briefly discuss it here. The question was, what happens in verses 44 through 48, which could be considered a sign to Paul that he was now supposed to preach to the Gentiles? And, and we recognize that God has already told Paul this, but what event took place there in those four verses that would be, I think, could be seen as a sign? Um, oh, before I go on, Shelton, which question is answered on that page? The one we're uh, talking about? The, what happens in verses 44 through 48. All right, let's bring that up. I won't be able to bring it up on the screen in a, in a nice-looking way. But Jared Dart answers the question. Um, let's see. Is it the one where he says, well, I think Paul realizes. Yes. Yes. He's saying, he's saying that, uh, Jared's answer is, well, I think Paul realized that it was right and, uh, that he wanted to spread the word. Okay. So when he realized that it was the right thing to do, uh, he wasn't hesitant about spreading the word, but, but that was his main priority was spreading the gospel. Okay. All right. It's a good point. Good point. I may be oversimplifying this a little bit, but here's what I'm looking for. And, Jared, I'm not, not, not knocking your answer. It was a good answer. Think about the response of the Gentiles. And think about the fact the whole city came out. You know, Paul knew what his job was. He knew he was supposed to go teach the Gentiles. But seeing the Gentiles' desire for him to come back the next week and tell them more, to see them hungering, thirsting, wanting to learn more if anything was to be a physical sign to paul i think it would have been that i'm not saying it was per se because he already knew but i think that could have served as a sign to him so yep the jews have rejected it now we go to the gentiles any thoughts yeah i would concur with that john very much and and the fact that that paul's kindred jews Counted themselves unworthy of the word of God. Uh, that is absolutely a drastic statement. It, it it would have been devastating for Paul to have heard that, and I would I would surprise Barnabas was was upset to hear it as well. But so intrigued and enthused with the power of the gospel of Christ, which is the power of God, Romans one sixteen. That Paul says, "Hey, if you don't want it, we've got an opportunity to give it to people that do." And off to the Gentiles we go. Uh, the thought occurs to me in a in position that all of us men are now. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could enthuse every member of every congregation to get that enthusiastic, take that gospel to others as well? I, I've challenged every church I've ever worked with that if every member were to convert just one more person in a year's time, you know, that's a long time. If everybody did it in a year's time, you've doubled your attendance, do it again, you double your attendance. I'm convinced that's why the early church grew as well as it did. People shared it. Yeah. You know, many times we look for different types of uh, methods of advertisement evangelism, but there's yeah. nothing better than one-on-one -on -one personal contact with people. That's the way God set it up, and I haven't found anything worse. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. It's a very good point. All righty. Now, 
Mike, will you be here next week or possibly might not? I so. Uh, I was going to tell you, I'll, I'll go ahead and write the outline okay. and send it to you. I hope to get that done by next Tuesday, uh, but things are busy. Uh, and nonetheless, I hope to get that done and get that to you. If I'm able to be with you, I will. If not, then go ahead and use the outline or not use the outline. Would you, I won't know till I get there. Okay, I understand. It's you know motels aren't noted for their great internet speeds unless you pay some money, and even then you don't mm-hmm. get a. It's, it's yeah. like they're they're they're. Um, well, I won't say any more on it. But anyway, <laughs> kind of cheap. <laughs> Well, in that area of Illinois, is kind of remote anyway. So that's right. We'll, we'll do what we can do. All right. Any other final thoughts on this chapter as we pull it to a quick close? How about you, Paul? No, I think I've said what uh, what I hope to convey. All right, Shelton. No, I enjoyed the study and I'm ready to start fourteen. All right, and Mike, any final thoughts? I, I'm just amazed at the at the power of the gospel of Christ and how Paul and Barnabas were quite willing to share it with those that were eager to find it and obey it. There's people in our world today that are of the same ilk, and we need to make sure they get this gospel. Amen. That's exactly right. That's exactly point. right. Okay. Well, everything goes according to, to plan. Lord willing, we'll continue our studies through the book of Acts. We will be in Acts chapter 14 as we continue to look at Paul and Barnabas's journey in establishing churches and spreading the gospel of Christ to both the Jews and the Gentiles. And that'll be next Wednesday at 11 o'clock a.m. Central Time. In the Eastern Time Zone, we hope you'll join us at noon. And I think that's it. We're, oh, we're no. missing a lot of people, so we're out some time zone. <laughs> <laughs> if you're in the Pacific time zone, it'll be 9 a.m., and John, I'm going to hand back to you to close out. All righty. And if you're in mountain time zone, 10 o'clock. How about that? So thank you so much for joining us. And that'll be next Wednesday at 11 o'clock a.m. Central Time right here at live.truthfactor.com. Have a very wonderful, wonderful week.